because they really contain the emphasis that I want to focus on today. So Revelation chapter 5 says this. John, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, records these words. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Father, we thank you again for your word. Pray now that your spirit would move, that you would do everything necessary today, Lord, to open the eyes and the hearts of those that are lost in sin, blinded by sin, or have just grown apathetic today, Lord. May you have your way in this service. As always, may you increase and I decrease, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was watching just last week a Netflix documentary about war heroes. And specifically, these war heroes had been awarded the highest honor that you can receive in America, the Congressional Medal of Honor. The first story that they showed was about a guy by the name of Sylvester Antilac. He is actually an Ohio resident, and he served in World War II. His mission at the time was in a little place called Cisterna, Italy. And his mission was to overtake this field where there was a machine gun set up so that they could cross this, this plain, if you will, to get into Rome and try to overtake that city. And so they arrive, everything's going as planned, he sends his first unit across, everything's good, and as the second unit begins to cross over, they're ambushed. And so they're stuck, the first unit up front, the second unit is, is held down with all this gunfire, and so it's a, it's a terrible scene. And to make a long story short, in that moment, Sylvester Antilac had to make a decision that went against everything that they had planned and prepared for. He simply had to do something to try to save his men's life, knowing that he was going to lose his in the process. And he began to make a straight-line sprint towards this machine gun that was set up in this, this encampment, if you will. He was hit three times along this way, and each time got back up. The third shot sh completely shattered his left arm, and he braced his gun under his right and continued to go all the way up to that machine gun, killing many of the Germans and capturing the rest single-handedly. He died later in that same battle from injuries that he sustained. But his men lived on, Rome was overtaken, and that was a big turning point in the war. I say all that to say this, that there are times in life as humans where we see acts of bravery, acts of courage, acts of honor that are rewarded. And for those people like Sylvester Antilac, we would say that his deeds made him worthy of that reward. He certainly went above and beyond and gave the greatest price he could give for his country and for his men. And so he was worthy of that honor. But as we read this text today, I want us to think about exactly what John is seeing and what John is saying as he is in this heavenly vision, if you will, caught up in the throne room of God. Many of you probably know the story in Genesis. God creates in seven days a perfect world creates in six, rests on the seventh. And as he looks at this world, he says that everything is good and very good. 
Shortly after this creation happens, Adam and Eve are in the garden. Adam is gone. The woman is there and she's tempted by the serpent. She's tempted to deny God's word. She's tempted to go against God's word. And she ultimately does so. And the result of that is the world is plunged into death and destruction. But even then, even back thousands of years ago when this event first takes place, God had a plan. God had already prepared that one would come who was worthy to buy back what sin had taken, what sin had stolen. In Genesis 3.15, the promise is made. I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The promise that the seed of the woman would come and would ultimately crush the head of the enemy. And we would see that happen in Jesus Christ. But today as we look in Revelation, our text takes us into the very throne room of heaven. If we were to go back just one chapter into chapter 4 and read the opening words there, we find it says, After this I look, John says, and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, listen to what he says, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after all this. And John says, At once I was in the Spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this verse, but I do want you to see something. John is called to come up here And he is in the Spirit as these visions are now going to be related to him. May I say this, that maybe today you're here. Maybe today you spent time in church. But your struggle about this whole thing is that you just can't seem to put things together when it comes to the Bible. It just seems a bit too much for you to believe. It just seems a bit too much like a story or a myth. And from your carnal eyes, you can't seem to understand How all of this could really take place. How a dead man could be placed in a tomb and three days later come back to life. Maybe you just struggle, if you're honest, to wrap your mind around how that is even possible. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural person, the natural man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What we pray for each Sunday, what we pray for you in your life is that the Spirit of God, just as John had happened to him, would fill your life and open your eyes and show you that by faith, this is not just a story. These are not just myths. Jesus was not just one of many supposed messiahs. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the risen Christ. And by faith today, it's our prayer that the Spirit would give you eyes to see and faith to believe, that He would soften your heart, that He would draw you into His presence, just as He did with John, so that the wonderful things that John saw were real to him and the wonderful things that you hear today will be real to you. We get into our text in chapter 5, and John begins to see these things From the vantage point of heaven, he's seeing these things play out before him. The things that were going to come to pass. Things that church, our generation, may very well see take place. 
the hour is drawing near where these events will take place in real time. And it may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be next week. But it is certainly sooner than when John saw these things take place. He says in verses 1 and 2 as we read, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming, Who is worthy? That's the title of my message today. Who is worthy? One of my favorite songs, it's a newer song, a newer hymn, if you will, is by a gentleman named Andrew Peterson. And many others have done this song before. I'm not really going to try to sing it per se, but I want you to listen and think about these words from this chorus by Andrew Peterson. He says, Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, He is David's root, and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is He worthy? Yes, He is. He is worthy. We see the Father holding in His hand a scroll. And we might ask, what is this scroll? What exactly is the Father holding? I think it's important that we understand again what God originally intended for us as His apple of His eye, if you will, humanity, His prized possession, His creation. What was His original plan for us? And what did sin do to corrupt that? In Genesis 1, 27 and 28 it says, So God created man in His own image. Every one of you in this room today, every one of you watching, is created in what is known as the Imago Dei, the image of God. God created you in His image. Sin has distorted that. Sin has disrupted that. But nonetheless, you are still made in the very image of God. He knows you by name. He desires to have a relationship with you. That is why God would do what He did for us. Because sin has separated you from Him, but He desires to reconcile you back to Himself. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful. Here is the command of God to our first parents. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And listen to this. Have dominion. Have authority, rule over, he's saying, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God the Creator entrusted to Adam and Eve dominion over His creation. They named the animals. They were to rule and take care of the garden. What a responsibility that God had given to our first parents. Yet they rebelled against that. They ate of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And as God said, the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. They didn't die physically that day, but they did die spiritually, and they would later die physically. And that is the condition of every single human being born since. If we trace our ancestry back, 
we would eventually come to Adam and Eve. And through that line, all of us have inherited the sin nature that our first parents got when they disobeyed God. That is the problem that we have today, is that we are naturally sinners. You don't have to teach little kids to disobey. You don't have to teach little kids to lie and steal and get angry. It's just part of their nature. It's part of the fallen nature that all of us received from our first parents. Romans 5.17 says this, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. The first Adam plunged us into sin and separation. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, came to reconcile and redeem. And through His sacrificial death in our place, we can now have a relationship with God. The death that we deserved for sins, Jesus took upon Himself so that we might live through Him and by Him. So Jesus buys our redemption. That's a word that we use a lot in church. But maybe we don't fully grasp what it means. We are redeemed. The redemptive price that was owed was purchased by Jesus. The Scriptures say that we have been bought or we have been purchased with a price. The things that we've sung about today, many of those songs talked about Jesus laying down His life, shedding His blood. He did that to pay a price. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no payment for sin. It takes someone to lay down their life. I can't die for your sins because I'm a sinner myself. Mom and dad can't die for your sins because they're sinners themselves. Grandma and grandpa can't do it. Your neighbors can't do it. Nobody can stand in the gap for you because we need a Savior ourselves. But Jesus would come willingly. Jesus would come obediently to lay down His life because He was the only one worthy to purchase you and redeem your souls. That's what Jesus did for us. So what are we looking at? What is the Father holding? What is this scroll? I believe that this is the answer. In the Old Testament, which the book of Revelation has a lot of imagery, obviously, and a lot of that is apocalyptic language from the Old Testament. So when we think about the Old Testament, we think about redemption. Who exactly was it that could be redeemed? Slaves could be redeemed. They could be purchased out of slavery. Wives could be purchased to be redeemed. Ruth is an example of that. She lost her husband. Along comes Boaz as the kinsman redeemer and buys her out of that slavery. Land could be redeemed. Land was able to be purchased. Let me read to you from the book of Jeremiah, verse, uh, chapter 32, verses 8 through 11. You see this very thing taking place, and I think that this gives us an answer to what it is that the Father is holding in this scroll. In Jeremiah 32, it says, Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Listen to what he says. I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, 
and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and condition along with the open copy. This is very common practice for Hebrew people and even in the Roman times. They would write the conditions on the scroll, why the land was forfeited on one one side, the redemption of it on the other side, roll it up, seal it with seven seals with the inscription of the king or the title owner on it, and it was given to the one that was purchased along with another open copy to keep on public record. My friends, what we see is the title deed to the earth. We see the destruction on one side that caused this to be necessary, and on the other side, the redemptive plan that is going to unfold in the next chapters of Revelation for the Lamb to carry out judgment and the price that He paid because He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. That's what John is seeing in this vision. The scroll contains the terms of redemption and the plan that God is going to carry out through the Son to ultimately judge a wicked world and redeem not just His people, but the entire creation. This earth and this heavens is passing away. God has already provided a way for sinners to be reconciled. But in His ultimate plan, the Bible says He's making all things new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. All of this will pass away. So if you're clinging tightly this morning to your toys and your trinkets and your stuff, if you are banking on your 401k and you're banking on your retirement plan and you're banking on your savings, my friends, you are standing on sinking sand. Because we've already seen how quickly those things can go away. We've seen how quickly someone's health can turn. We've seen how quickly the the country can go from being a, a flourishing place to a place that is just spiraling out of control. Overnight almost it can happen. But when you build on the solid rock, when you anchor yourself to Christ who is unchangeable and immovable, when you have your hope in Him, when you look to the empty tomb and you say, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. I may be a bit concerned. I may be a bit uncertain. But I know for a fact that my Jesus has got this taken care of. That He is King of kings and Lord of lords. That He rules and reigns eternally. And I don't have to worry how this thing ends. I know my Redeemer lives, as Job would say. And so he looks at this scroll, he sees this scroll, and the angel asks, who is worthy? Who is worthy? Who could possibly redeem the world? Who could pay such a debt? Who is worthy? He didn't say who is willing. Many people have been willing over the centuries. Many people have tried to be the conqueror of the world. We've seen many kings rise up. We've seen men like Hitler. We've seen men like Constantine. We've seen men like Alexander the Great overtake much of the known world at the time. We see the Caesars ruling and reigning. And yet they've died and they're buried and their kingdoms are no more. But this lamb, this king, Lowly and meek, he would walk to the cross and lay down his life. And the devil laughed and the world rejoiced that they had gotten rid of this troublemaker. But three days later, victory was declared. And victory is the message that we bring to you today. Jesus Christ is alive. His kingdom is immovable. And we have a hope in Him today. The Antichrist will come at some point. 
And He will try to be the one that ultimately is worthy to rule and reign over the world. And the promise in Genesis 3.15 will be carried out. He will crush Him under His feet. He was already crushed on Calvary, but He will be crushed and eternally judged when the King of Kings returns to judge the world. And I want you to see something. I want you to see something in verse 3 that I think is so important. I want you to see this because I believe that this is one of the tactics that the enemy uses so often to keep people from coming to Jesus. To keep people from serving Jesus. They ask the question in verse 2, who is worthy? And in verse 3, look what happens. No one in heaven was found worthy. You stop and think about it. Since the creation of the world, start to name all the people that you are pretty sure are in heaven. That's an impressive list of people, earthly speaking. Abraham's there, but he's not worthy. Moses is there, but he wasn't worthy. David was there, but he's not worthy. The Apostle Paul is there, and he wasn't worthy. John was there, and he wasn't worthy. The angels were there. Michael and Gabriel and many other angels were there. And they weren't worthy because he said nobody in heaven was worthy. So then he glanced down and he said, well, what about on earth? And he looked at all the kings and all the famous people and all the rich people and all the powerful, popular people on earth. And none were worthy. And then he looked under the earth. Great men and great women that had already died and perished again. People like Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar and Napoleon. People with great military power and wealth beyond measure. And none of them were worthy. There was none worthy. No matter where John looked, he couldn't find someone. And in verse 5 it says, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. John is bawling at this point. This isn't just a quiet little cry. The Greek word means to lament, to wail. He is wailing over this. And the angel says to him, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and the seals. The angel calls John's attention first. Behold, look with me, friends, this morning. Look into the face of this Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I would love to have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not worthy. Of course you're not. The Word of God has already told us that. Look to the Lamb who is worthy. Maybe you say today, Pastor, I'm a believer, but I don't feel like I'm living the way I ought to, and I want to come and get things right, but I'm so afraid that I'm going to mess up again and I won't be worthy of coming forward and following Him and so I don't even want to make a promise that I can't keep. You're not worthy. You're going to fall short again. Look to Him every day for strength, for guidance, for forgiveness when you fall short. My friends, the reason why it's so hard for you to follow Jesus is because you've got your eyes on yourself too much. You've got to turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. John says, the angel tells John, Behold, look. Look to Me. You're weeping. 
Jesus is going to wipe away our tears because we've looked to Him. He says, John, don't weep anymore. Look to the Lamb. Look to the Lamb today is what John is told. The Lion of Judah. The Root of Jesse. It says He has conquered. The King James Version says He has prevailed. That literally means He has carried off in victory. It's already finished. We sing that song, Victory in Jesus. And we have victory. If Jesus Christ would lay down His life and three days later take it up again, my friends, what on earth could we ever face that He can't take care of? What enemy will we face that is ever greater than death? There is none. If sin is forgiven and death is defeated, rejoice. Rejoice today. If you know Him. If you've been bought by that precious blood of Christ. If you believe today that He lives to make intercession for you. He's alive and He's coming back for you. That doesn't mean that life is... As I've said, life is difficult. We have struggles. We still sin. We still fall into situations where our faith is small and we wonder what is going on. But when we are in the hand of the Father, we are secure. Because not only does Jesus save us, Jesus keeps us. If it's up to us to keep ourselves, my friends, we are in trouble. Because we're prone to wander. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And we would continue to stray were it not for the firm grip of the Father. Were it not for the purchased price of Christ. If we could lose our salvation, then the blood wasn't uh, ultimately efficacious for us. It wasn't enough. There needs to be something else. But if the blood was enough, my friends, how can you lose what Jesus has paid for? You can't. He bought you and paid for you. He knows you by name. And He loves you eternally. He gives unto us eternal life. Not temporary life. But the question is, have you looked to Him? Behold the Lamb. The Lamb. We see Him in verse 6. Standing as though it had been slain. Here is this Lamb. The word in the Greek there means a little lamb. Like a pet lamb. This innocent lamb who was slain for our sins. Who laid down his life. There's a little poem. A lot of the kids and even adults know the poem, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Someone else redid that. It goes like this. Mary had the little lamb, obedient son of God. Everywhere the Father led, his feet were sure to trod. Mary had the little lamb crucified on the tree. The rejected Son of God, He died to set men free. Mary had the little lamb. Men placed, her, placed Him in the grave, thinking they were done with Him. To death He was no slave. Mary had the little lamb ascended, now is He. All work on earth is ended, our advocate to be. Mary had the little lamb, mystery to behold. From the lamb of Calvary a lion will unfold. When the day star comes again, of this be very sure. It won't be lamb-like silence, but with the lion's roar. That's my Jesus. That's the Jesus that's alive. John the Baptist saw Jesus when his ministry began. And as Jesus walked by, what does John say? Behold. Look. Do you see a theme here? Behold. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off the world. Look to Jesus. Behold. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus did what He did. And as we see this scene unfold in heaven, the Lamb takes the scroll in verses 7 through 10, and heaven erupts in praise. And notice what is said in verses 9 and verse 11 as we wrap this up. In verse 9, 
worthy are you to take the scroll. Worthy are you to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God of every tribe and nation and tongue. He was worthy. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom, might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Jesus is worthy, my friends. The answer to the heavenly question is the answer is Jesus. Chad sung the song about the Passover and millions of people flooding the city to bring their lamb to be offered as a sacrifice. That went on day after day. Passover was a one-time event, but the shedding of these bloods of these animals went on daily. And at the Passover, people are bringing their lambs to be sacrificed. Because every time they sinned, another sacrifice was necessary. There was never enough animals to cover people's sins. And there'll never be enough that you can offer today to pay for your sins. You might be here today and say, I think I'm a pretty good person. And when I stand before God, I'm going to trust that I did enough good. I gave enough money. I sacrificed and volunteered enough. God understands that I'm pretty good overall. And He's going to be okay with me. My friends, you will never enter heaven by your good works. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is nothing that you can offer a holy God except your sin. That's all that we can bring to Him. And He asks us to bring that sin. To lay it down. Or to rather lay it on Christ. So that Christ can bear that sin for us. It says in Hebrews 7.27 that Jesus being our high priest... He has no need like those other high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. Finally, Hebrews 10, 17 and 18. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. My friend, this morning... We have preached to you your need that sin has separated you from God. And without Christ, you will die separated from Him. He will honor your wishes to die in your sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Separation forever. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Jesus offers you a chance to be born again, to become a new creature through faith alone. You say, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, if you realize today, if you were to die, that you would not enter heaven, that you would be separated from God, that your good deeds will never be enough, that you can't do enough to be found worthy, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Then you have to look to Him. You have to come to Him. You have to call out to Him. Behold the Lamb. Call upon the name of the Lord and ask Him, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to save you, to change you. And if that is your prayer, it doesn't matter if your words are beautiful or make any sense. If from the heart your desire is to know Christ and have Christ live in you, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the promise of God for you. And if you're a believer today and you've been straddling the fence, playing games, living far too long with other priorities, 
and you think, man, I don't want to come on Easter morning. There's so many people watching me. You may not get another chance. Stop worrying. Get your eyes off the people in this room and behold the Lamb. Get your eyes on Jesus today and say, I don't care how many people are looking at me. I don't care if anybody thinks bad of me, which they don't, by the way. But I'm going to get what I need to get today. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus today. You can do that, my friends. I don't care if you're a guest in this church or a founding member. If Jesus is calling you today, I'm going to come down in just a moment. I'll be up here at the front. I'd be glad to pray with you. You can come to the altar and pray by yourself. I can't save you, but Jesus can. And I would be glad to pray with you as He does that work. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together. And all I ask is this. If today you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Make today the day where you respond to Christ's offer. Make today the day where you're obedient to Him. Joining the church, in baptism, serving, surrendering, whatever it is that God is dealing with you about today, He defeated death for you so that you can know Him. He defeated death for you not to sit on the sidelines, but so that you can be a part of His kingdom work. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today that You are alive, that You have done this, that You are worthy. And Lord, today in this invitation, now I pray that You would remove fear, doubts, excuses, anything that holds someone back today, and let them behold the Lamb of God. Let them fix their eyes on Christ and take that step of faith today to know Him, to follow Him, to live for Him. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and as we sing, you come.